0: This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at sign up to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. The show is growing faster every single week, and I have each of you to thank for it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for all the DMs, and please keep them coming. Your support on an ongoing way for the show is amazing, and I'm grateful for it. I love seeing the growth of the show. We've passed the 2 million download mark, and I love hearing from so many of you on how the show has been so helpful in each of your careers. And today, we got another killer guest joining that you're going to like. This is someone I'm really looking forward to chopping things up with. I'm excited and pumped to welcome Brian Will to the show. Now, Brian's done it all. He's worked with companies of all sizes. He's built and sold companies. He advises and helps develop leaders in high-growth organizations. He helps develop people with his force multiplier framework that we're going to learn about today. And the results, well, they've been incredible. Brian's a two-time best-selling author, a contributor to Forbes. He works with companies from startups to members of the Fortune 500, and he's a hands-on expert in how to help predictably create record levels of sales. And as sales leaders, that's what we are asked to do year after year after year, have the best year in company history every single year. And today, Brian and I are going to discuss ways that you can more predictably do just that. So as a result, our topic today, it's an important one. It's a conversation you'll be able to use with your team immediately, and I cannot wait to get started. Brian, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me.
1: I can't believe I'm on this podcast, man. The Sales Leadership Podcast. This is awesome. I I mean, I know the Jepson uh, Performance Group, so pretty cool that you got me on here today. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being willing to join us. I'll I'll start by, on behalf of 50,000 leaders all around the world that are listening, thank you for giving us an hour. And uh, I can't wait, man. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Why don't you start by introducing uh, yourself, your work, what you do for your customers, kind of a high level, like just for these listeners, so they can know a little bit about why you and me are going to have such a good good talk today.
1: Yeah, my, my background, Rob, is 35 years in building businesses, selling businesses. I've done two deals. We sold to venture capital. One deal we sold to private equity. I've consulted a Fortune 500 in sales and sales management, built sales teams in the direct-to-consumer, as well as the face-to-face. My sales training systems are all over the country. We've literally sold billions of dollars. We did a billion in one year, which was the best Let's year we go.
0: did. Let's um, go.
1: And today, I, I, you know, I've, I, I tell people that I took 30 years of experience in building and selling and training in the corporate world, and I've brought it back down today. I work with entrepreneurs and what we call well-funded startups through 10 million in revenue that are looking to either rocket growth their company, stabilize where they're at and grow profitably, or figure out how they can sell their companies into the future. And as you know, everything in business is about sales. If you ain't got sales, you ain't got a company. So that's
0: Amen. what I do. I love it. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, I'm sure we got a lot of eyebrows going up and heads tilt tilting the side. There's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna like where we go. Um, you gave us a hint, but I want to sit in it for a minute before we get in. We got forty five minutes that so we're going to have a lot of fun, and it's going to go fast, Brian. You're going to hear me say at the end I said, I can't believe how fast it went. But before <laughs> we do, the sequ- the hint you gave us is you said if you don't have sales, you don't have a company. Is that the reason why you chose to emphasize sales? Is there a reason? Is there something that drove that kind of drew you to sales as a as as your area of emphasis?
1: You know, it's interesting. I didn't even know I could sell. The very first company I started was landscaping and when i got out of landscaping i didn't know what i was going to do with my life and somebody said you should sell insurance and i'm like i am not selling insurance that sounds terrible and it took him six months to talk me into it and i started selling insurance the old in the old days which was face to face and within six weeks i was a number one agent selling 50 percent of the production in a 15-man shop
0: no way who
1: who knew i could sell right like my, my literally i joke my first week i bought 25 leads i came back with 12 contracts and the owner of this agency goes you sold 12 out of 25? I was like, yeah, is that good? He goes, oh my God, that's good. We got to go to lunch. And I mean, who <laughs> knew, right? It's funny. I had a conversation with my daughter and you know, I, I have no education, didn't go to college. And she said, daddy, you must've been good at something when you were young. And I said, the, the hidden secret, the hidden talent I never knew I had was apparently I knew how to sell. So
0: that's what, that's what got me into the sales game. I love it. Okay. Well, we got a whole bunch of sales leaders that I can't wait to dive into. So like I've already mentioned, we have 50,000 people listening to us. And as we record this, because again, you never know when someone's going to listen to a podcast, they they binge listen to these. You, you'd love it, Brian. These messages I get where they say, man, I'm binge listening to the sales leadership podcast. <laughs> so as we record this, we're in July. For a lot of people, that's like the midpoint of the year. And so if this was a sports game, we'd be saying it's halftime. We're going into the halftime locker room and we look at the score. We look at the scenario. We make some adjustments, you know, share our observations. And that's what you are really good at. You're really good at helping companies say, how do we sell more? How do we, let's use the sports term. How do we put more points on the board? How do, how do we yes. do that? Mm-hmm. And so you get to do that with a lot of people. I love that you, you literally have done billions and sometimes it's been a billion in a year. When you're working with leadership teams, and that's who we're talking to right now as leaders, when you're starting to, like, say, how do we add more fuel to the fire? How do we put points on board? How do we change the trajectory? Instead of a trajectory that's flat, how do we change that trajectory? Where are some places that you like to start when you're looking at sales organizations? From the bottom up, every single time. Talk to me about that. All right. So
1: many organizations look at their sales, even overall – organizational organizational performance, but more specifically their sales performance. And they always look at the top down and they say, well, we're doing X revenue, we need to get to Y revenue. And I go in and, and I would tell you almost every single time what we find out is X revenue to Y revenue doesn't mean more profit. In fact, if you take X revenue and you cut out what I call the bottom 10% of the organization that needs to get out of there, retrain the middle and let the high performance do what they do, you will generate the same or more sales with less people, less overhead, and a higher ROI on the marketing dollars you're already spending. Then we bring the new people in and we build from X to Y with better trained people. So if we, I build what I call individual P&Ls with every single salesperson. If your organization has a sales team, each one of those salespeople are a P&L. They are a profit and loss statement. They have fixed overhead attached to them. They have variable overhead attached to them. They have close rates that are broken down by different lead sources, by different, uh, by different products, by different clients. Everything is built in this P&L. And if you can break an individual P&L down, then we can find out who's making money, who's not, what works and what doesn't. And that's when we can start to improve the performance of your company and get those overall top goals that you're looking for. But if you're looking from the top down, that's the wrong way to look at it.
0: Oh, I love this. I want to sit in this for a minute. I, like, First of all, <laughs> excuse me, I've never quite heard it articulated that way, individual P&Ls. Yeah, now, there's going to be some people that's going to feel that, like, that might be who's sterile or not personalized enough. But I don't think it is. I want to sit in that because I, I, I'm guessing that since it's an individualized PL, you're going to have a highly individualized conversation with each person. Am, am I interpreting that right or am I interpreting that wrong? So
1: we like to break sales organizations down to what we call the 20, 70, 10, okay? We have the 20% who are high performers, the 70% who sit in the middle. We need to keep them in the guardrails. And I call the 10 at the bottom, we need to replace on a constant basis. And I think of okay. sales organization, organization of any size, you're going to find that, right? So when we build these individual P&Ls, which we have our, our, our folks do over in finance and, and pro, program management department, they build those and we bring them back. Now we can go to that individual and say, yes. I'll give you an example, uh, Rob. I did a, uh, an insurance carrier up in Minneapolis, and their very top performer, the guy making the most money, getting all the trips and all the awards he sold the most, he was not yep. profitable because his retention sucked. He was using sales techniques to slam people into products and services that they didn't retain, and therefore they were paying him all this money, but they weren't making any on the back end, right? And when you take that individual P&L and you show it to the sales leaders and say, this person's not doing it right. Then you need to go back and fix what they're doing wrong. They have the ability to sell, but they are cheating the system and putting people into things that they shouldn't be in. And that causes your retention issues and overall profitability loss in the long term. So that's why those p ls are so important. You can also use them as, as examples when you, when you do your one-on-one counseling with your team and say, hey, this is where you're going wrong and this is why. And this is why you need to go back into the training and learn a few things. like We get into the sales cycle and scripting stuff and follow the system more closely so that your numbers will go up. We can make almost everybody better. Like, unless you're the very, very top high performer, we can make almost everybody better in that organization. And that makes more money for everybody.
0: I love that mindset. We can make almost anyone better. I, I think that's that might sum up what our job is as sales leaders, is to help everyone. I don't care if it's a high producer all the way down to your newest person. Can mm-hmm. you help them get better? So I love that. I, I, I want to sit in that for a little longer, if you don't mind. I know we got a lot of things that we want to cover, but this idea of we can help anyone get better. How important is it for that, that salesperson to want to get better? Like, Is that ever a problem that Let's they got to want it. it?
1: Yeah, this is into motivation. So I, I use this example okay. all the time. I say that there are two primary drivers that motivate salespeople. Everyone will tell you they, the first one is always money. Right, money motivates a salesperson. I will tell you that the number two driver is laziness. And actually, this is funny. Facebook put me on a on a almost ban because I said salespeople were lazy in in a post one day, which is hilarious. But the point okay. of the fact is, I, and I say lazy because most people, and I've heard this in your previous podcast with your guests, will tend to produce right up until they hit their max for the month, and then they yep. coast. And why are yep. they coasting? Because they're lazy. That's why they don't have any any desire to produce more because they're not going to get any more real money out of it, right? Or they've already achieved their personal bills or their personal self-image level of what they're capable of doing or the income that they're supposed to get. And so people tend to produce at that level of which they think they can. And this is the 70% in the middle, by the way. And this is why, that doesn't apply to the top 20%. Those guys are out there killing it. This is why we build sales programs and incentives and bonuses in, because we need to give them something that will push them past that comfort level of already paid my bills And if we structure those bonus programs correctly, we can get them to push to the next level, right? So that the bonus program – and by the way, if you're going to build a bonus program, it's got to be substantial, it's got to be immediate, and it's got to be achievable for everybody in the organization, not just the top 20%. Otherwise, nobody's going to care. If I'm halfway through the month and I know I don't have a shot at it, I don't care. It's not doing anything for me. I just know Joe or Susan at the top of the chart is going to get all the money, all the bonuses, all the credit. So it's got to be immediate, achievable for everyone. And substantial enough that it makes a difference. It'll push me past my personal self-image, my personal income, my personal bills. It's got to push past. So that's what makes people want to do more.
0: Hey, I'm taking notes. That's why. Thanks for thanks for uh, letting me catch up. I'm already three quarters of a page done on taking notes with what you're saying, man. This is this good. This want got to want. I, I like this. When I as a as a performance coach, I. I, I call it enrollment, almost like open enrollment for your healthcare. Mm-hmm. You, you, you got to have people sign up for what they want. They're chasing what they're doing. And, and I like this because it's got to be meaningful. You've, you've got to do more than have people want to just keep a job or right. you know not get called out for being an underperformer, for example. And cause you're right. Some people say, Hey man, I'm hitting my goal. I'm I'm middle of the pack and middle of the pack means I'm not in your bottom 10%. Right. You, you so know what? I,
1: One of my best bonus programs, and I love this, right? We call this the 11 o'clock Starbucks run. Okay. And we'll take the organization and and at nine or eight in the morning, we say, all right, whoever's in the top 10 today by 1030, free Starbucks. We're making a Starbucks farm. you would be amazed how a trophy of a Starbucks walking around the office that you got for Hmm. free will motivate somebody to do a little bit more this morning. That's when I say immediate, they got to get it now substantial, it's got to be something that they can show off to everybody else and uh, achievable for everyone. Yeah. Even the top performance might have a bad day. All you need to do is sell one or two, whatever it is.
0: Right. So immediate,
1: substantial and
0: achievable and for one? everyone. And
1: achievable for everyone. Look, I tell you a lot of organizations, I promise you, you've seen this, Rob. They have a bonus at the end of the year. Nobody right. gets excited about the bonus 11 months from now. They don't yeah. get excited December, about it. In December they
0: do. December, yeah. maybe yeah. even November. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Until then, it's it's meaningless. I am not going to push myself out of my comfort zone to do more than I think I need to in January if there's no benefit to me until December. It's pointless. And yet people think, oh, we're going to send you to Italy. Nobody cares in January.
0: Not going to help. So, I, I love everything you're saying now, Brian. It, it, it makes me think of something that I want to ask you, okay? So do you see that some organizations misunderstand motivation? Because you have a very specific, and and I like your understanding of motivation. I asked you about, do they got to want it? You said, like that fast. Oh, you're talking about motivation. I know motivation is one of the levers, but I personally think some leaders misunderstand how motivation works. Do you ever see that that's misunderstood sometimes?
1: Absolutely. Because they don't understand how a sales force works. You know, we teach salespeople the human nature, the psychology behind why customers do or don't buy, that has to apply to the sales leadership to understand why their sales team is or is not producing. This is, and I gave you one right there. If they're building a program, not understanding that 12 months from now is too far out, then they're not understanding the human nature of the salesperson that's out there trying to push that product. It's got to be immediate. It's got to be substantial. And everybody has to be able to achieve it. That's just a psychology point that the leadership team needs to understand. You'd be surprised how many people don't get that.
0: And so as a result, if I'm going to extend what you just said, those things backfire. Best laid plans will backfire and they left, they're left scratching their heads. So as we record this at halftime, I want to like turn this into a little bit of a so what? If you have people that may have plateaued, or maybe you feel like there's more in the tank, or maybe they didn't get where we want them to get. One of the places to look is, are we using motivation the right way? Is that a fair lens to look through?
1: Show me an organization, and I will typically show you one that the same top producers go on the same trips, get the same bonuses every year. Every year, the same folks are there. Everybody in the organization knows it, and therefore nobody else is going to try. I know I can't outproduce, Susan. She's going to be tops and and get the trip and get the bonus and get the award. So there's no point in me pushing. That's just a psychology point that the leadership needs to understand. You've got to make these things immediate and achievable for everyone and substantial enough that they'll change their behavior. That's just so, it's so powerful. If you understand that it can change, it can change that 70% in the middle who only produce to their self-limit, their own self-worth, right? It'll make them do one more. Ed Milat says one more,
0: right? I love that. That's goal. That's gonna. This whole discussion. We'll turn this into a video for Sales Leadership United. This is a good one. Uh, that that's a great nugget. As we're here at halftime, revisit how you use motivation. Revisit that. That's yeah. Because understand cause careful, your sales team. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be an expensive fix. That's probably a fix you can make pretty quickly if you want to. I'm guessing, right? Starbucks run at 11 o'clock. How much does that cost?
1: I mean, these can be small <laughs> little things. You got a big blinky board, you know, Susan, number one in the first, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is. Email. I used to send out emails with a picture of Mike Myers going $1 million, right? And because we had a million dollar a day goal in this organization we were doing over in Portland. Uh, And then I put the top people on there each day. So it's, it's gotta be something that people can be like, yeah, I I was on the board yesterday. I may not be the tops in the organization, but I was on the board. There's something about
0: that. I, I love that, that immediacy of, um, yeah, I, I I made the Starbucks run. Do you also find that unexpected rewards help with motivation? Is that something that you see that, like, when you give people something that they weren't necessarily planning on? Is that ever play into the matte mix? Sorry to go off topic, but I'm interested. Yeah, in that.
1: I would probably say that if you're giving them an unexpected reward, then they weren't pushed past their comfort zone to get it. So it didn't really probably okay. get you what you were thinking. You're now rewarding somebody for abnormal behavior as opposed to specific, I'm pushing myself forward behavior, if that makes sense. If I just randomly sell too much today, that's abnormal. I got an award, but I wasn't trying where I know if I do three tomorrow or one tomorrow, X number of dollars tomorrow that I get this, you know, that that's something that I pushed for as opposed to something I didn't know was coming. So Uh, that's my random answer.
0: Well oh, it's a random question. I, I, let me focus the question. I, what I was really saying, I guess, said it better is like maybe sometimes you say, "Hey, you know Brian comes up to me and says, "Rob, just so you know, I see you, man. I, I catch you doing it right, you know, like something that recognizes doing it right, uh, I don't know. do you ever do anything like that, or Rec- do you recognition like is it? huge okay At Starbucks
1: is not about money, it's about recognition, and yes. I keep using the Starbucks it's an example, right it doesn't have to be it's that. Yeah, it's it's a recognition award. I got my Starbucks. You don't have one.
0: <laughs> Let's go. All right. So you say you start from the bottom up, and I liked how you did that. The idea of the individual P and L. Love that nugget, genius. Uh, I think we could probably have a whole episode on that. Um, I think you've given us any any final things on that individual P and L. You tied a little motivation into that. Any any. If you wanted to give any, any pointers to 50,000 sales leaders about this concept of the individual P&L in a way that doesn't make it too sterile, any, any thoughts that you'd give before we move on to our next kind of conversation?
1: Those individual P&Ls need to be managed on a weekly basis and they need to be used in, in, in order. Uh, so again, we're back to this immediateness, right? Your individual P&Ls are you done weekly so that you can always be on top of who's performing and who's not who's declining or who's accelerating. If they're accelerating, they get that immediate recognition we talked about. If they're declining, they need to have a chat. You don't wanna wait a month, find out that Joe has been failing over the past four straight weeks. I wanna know from week one to two to three to four, what's going on so that I can make corrections immediately along the way. If every week that Joe doesn't perform, your ROI on your marketing dollars is getting crushed. You're losing revenue as a company, he's losing commissions, nobody wins in that scenario. right? So I, needed to make, I need to make immediate corrections uh, within the organization.
0: I like this because one of my favorite metrics is trajectory. And so I look at point in time plus trajectory, and I say that equals situation. So we mm-hmm. can be hitting our number, but if we're fading, I love how you said, like, the P&L is more than just the point in time. It's like, is it, grow, is it accelerating? The terms you used were accelerating and declining.
1: We, so, we call this reverse analysis, right? So we do pattern recognition through reverse analysis. We can do that with a total P&L in a company, which I do all the time. You can do it with a sales team. You can do it with a sales individual. What's the reverse analysis? What's the historical P&L analysis? Look at the pattern trends and I can predict the future of what's gonna happen. I call this time travel.
0: I love it. Time travel. I, 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 I wanna be a time traveler. Let's get into the Brian Will hot tub time machine, right? Hey man,
1: hey Joe, I can see what has happened the last three weeks in a row. Therefore, I can tell you what's going to happen next week and the week after that if you continue on the path you're on. So we need to change what's happening today to reverse that time that that pattern that is happening in your sales. And it's easy to do if you can catch it, right? And and if you build the P and Ls, by the way, I don't care how big your organization is. If you have a hundred salespeople in the organization. You just stack them in order of top to bottom, and then I start focusing on the bottom 10. I don't need to worry about the guys at the top or the ladies at the top. I want to worry about the folks at the bottom or the folks that are in the wrong trend. And that's who I focus on to make my overall organization better.
0: Well, you just gave me a way of framing this, what we're going to talk about now and the rest of it. A sales leadership superpower is the ability to have time travel. Yes. That's something that we, we, if we're like superheroes, one of our superpowers should be, we are time travelers because you want to give them that clarity that if you do these things, you're going to change your trajectory and trajectory will absolutely predict where you will land, right?
1: Yes. hundred percent. It just needs you. As I said, you got to do this P and L's in, in a timely enough manner that you have a predictable pattern that you can look at. A month is too long. I do them every week.
0: Which is why, if you do it the right way, I will have some people that are listening saying, oh, you know, weekly is going to be micromanagement. I can hear them saying it, but mm-hmm. not if you do it the right way. You're doing it because you're a time traveler. This is about micro-awareness, not micromanagement. We want to be aware of where the trajectory is taking us. Yes, am I interpreting that the right way?
1: So if I looked at the last 30 days trajectory and I see that, that John is heading in a downward trend, and I'm only, by the way, focusing on that bottom 10 or 20%. So I don't have to worry about the entire organization. I'm worrying about the folks that are costing me money today. Then I could go back and look at the month before and see what happened with John then. And if the month before, I really need to do that. So if micromanagement is not, I'm looking at this week, last week, last month, the month before, that's just smart. I'm sorry, but if you're not managing John's future projection, projected sales, profits, or losses, then what are you doing as a sales leader?
0: What are that's you a doing? Tough, that's you're a tough right. statement. No, I like that. That's, that's another good one. If you're not doing that, what are you doing? Um, and I think it goes back to what you said earlier. Our role is to help people improve. It's, it's yes. not to just hit a number. It's to, it's to improve. So you're right. We need to be saying, if our role is to help people improve, then what are you doing with your time, right? I, t- I tell sales
1: managers when we hire them, your only job in this organization, because you are in the expense column now, right? You're no longer in the income column. Salespeople are in the income column. Managers are in the expense column. You've now become a sales manager. You are an expense to this organization. Your only job is to make that sales team better. And if you're not doing that, then what are you doing? You're not here to track numbers. We have people that do that. Your job is to make those people better.
0: Just end the show right now. (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome, dude. If, if everybody just wrote that down, like I, like, again, that'll be a video in sales leadership United, like go watch that video, uh, like write that down. Your job is to make people We're at halftime. It shouldn't be go work harder. It shouldn't be that. It should be go get better, right? Growth yes. instead of grind, choose growth over grind. Most of the time, I think people are pretty hard workers, you know, we might need to um, we might need to change how we prioritize things, but you know, it's not hard to be busy. It's not hard, but being intentionally about getting better, intentionally improving that—that's the jam, man. Like you, you got the hair standing up on the back of my neck right now, uh, Brian, because I don't hear enough sales leaders talking about that with that passion and vision, and and maybe more important, the knowledge on how to do that because too many times what I see is people just doing what was done to them. And so it's like beating people with numbers or, you know, setting arbitrary volume uh, activity goals. I, I don't think you can just activity manage your way to success anymore. I think you've got to grow. You've got to do what you said. You got to improve.
1: And you, yeah, you, you skipped right over my other one. So when I look at an organization as a, as a whole, I tell the CEO, the C-suite, whomever, The only people in this organization that generate revenue for this organization are the salespeople. They're the only ones. They're the only income expense people. I'm sorry, the only income producing people here. Every other single person in the organization is a liability. They are a cost. They ain't ain't making us any money. So every single other person is really here to support that sales team so that they can generate the revenue. Everybody else is an expense. As I like to say, people, if I get rid of a sales team. Your organization goes out of business. If I get rid of the CEO, we still got revenue. We still got money coming in. I can replace the CEO. But if I lose my sales team, I'm screwed. If I lose my sales manager, I've still got a sales team that's out there generating revenue. So understand that you're in the expense column. Your job is to make them better, which makes the organization better, which makes everybody more money, which is a benefit to all of us.
0: I can't believe it. We're halfway through our time, brother. We're, we're halfway through. It's gone that fast. So I want to I go to something, everything you're talking about, I think that's the next thing I want to take this to will have to do with leaders with their reps, but also how they help reps with their customers. Mm-hmm. And as I listen to you, you talk about P&Ls, you talk about growth, you talk about improvement. It occurs to me that trust must be a big part of this. It must be something that, that you're trading on as a leader. And it, I'm going to guess that it, it, in your world, it has something to do with how your reps engage with clients? Is is there any thoughts around trust that would be worth talking about right now?
1: Mm, You're going to have to get a little more specific in that question. I'm not following it.
0: Yeah. So, so two areas. One is for a leader to be oriented to the PNL of an individual, there's got to have to be trust there that I trust that you got my insights. You got my, my, not my insights. You got my best interest in mind, but the other side is your reps are also talking to customers and there's going to be a wall that's there. That's like, if you're trying to sell me something, uh, I don't know how much I trust you is how much is trust part of a sales leader's game and how they work with their reps, but also in how they help their reps engage their audiences.
1: The sales leader's job, as we said before, is to help that salesperson become better at doing their job and selling more product, whatever the product or service is, services, the salesperson's job. And we, I call this the five, the five keys to the magic of being a master closer, right? Okay. The five keys are: you must make the client like you; you must make the client trust you; they must think that you're looking out for their best interests; you must come across as a professional; and you do all of those things by making a connection. Right? That's how the whole ball game starts. That trust that you're talking about is what we call the first objection in every sales cycle, every product, every service, every sales cycle, every salesperson, every client. The minute you lay eyes on that client, and they lay eyes on you, the minute you talk to them on a telephone. We call this the wall of mistrust immediately jumps up between you and the client. Immediately. Because as we know, people don't like salespeople, right? And it's not that they don't like them. In
0: the absence of a relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not that they don't like them. They're great people. They have parties on the weekend. They coach Little League. They're great. But when you put that sales hat on, you immediately become distrustful. That wall of mistrust goes up between you and the client because people are afraid of salespeople. They're afraid of being sold. Nobody wants to be sold something that's overpriced or they don't want. They're afraid of the unknown. They don't know if you have some magic voodoo sales technique you're going to use to make them do something they don't want to do. So they're afraid of the unknown and they're afraid of being sold, right? So your job as a salesperson is to understand that. That is the first objection you need to overcome, This is why I call it the psychology of sales and negotiation. That's my book, right? Understand that they have a wall of mistrust and your job is to bring that wall down. If you never bring that wall down, then your entire sales process, your entire sales cycle, you're going to be fighting. You're trying to go around the wall, over the wall, under the wall, as opposed to trying to bring the dang wall down. So we need to teach salespeople how to create some level of trust. As a sales leader, you need to teach your salespeople how to get your salespeople to get to the, sale, to get to the sales, to get to the customer, to get that wall of mistrust down, right? And we do this through scripting. We do it through a proper sales cycle. We do it through proper scripting. We use, we use psychology and human nature and understanding what we're doing, and we start to bring that wall down. And when you bring that wall of mistrust down, they'll start to get the likability. They'll start to think that you are professional. If you say and do the right things, they'll think you're looking out for their best interest. You do all this in the fact-finding stage by making a connection. That's a whole five chapters of
0: the book, by the way. Well, we'll for sure make sure that people have access to the book. We'll have a link to that in our show notes for sure. Um, I know I'm excited to to learn uh, uh, about how to bring that wall down. That's such a good visual, Brian, like that wall, we're going to bring that wall down. It's not, I'm going to give you a tool to scale that wall. It's like why you see me sitting in this. I want our leaders to think about that. I don't want to give you a ladder. That's not what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a pack of C4. That's going to (laughs) blow that wall up. In a way that makes everyone happy, not in a terroristic way or anything like that, right? You just got to uh,
1: understand the walls there and figure out how to get it down, right? And we, I have certain scripting we use to start to bring that wall down. Sometimes it's specific to the product or service. Uh, so, yeah, you got to start bringing that wall of mistrust down. Otherwise, they're, they're going to have their dukes up, you know, wanting to fight you the whole time.
0: And so let's let's sit in that wall of mistrust for a second, because you're right, and I think that maybe the wall is made bigger than it's ever been recently because there's so much noise out there, right? There's, there's, and there's so many bad salespeople. Like, yeah, I I mean, I don't like to call anyone out, and I'm not going to. And but most salespeople, frankly, just are still in the volume game. They're like more dials, more emails, more whatever. If we just throw more on the top, more will come out the bottom, and. I don't think that that's the case. And so if you can teach people like how to bring that wall down, I would imagine that that makes people different in the way they sell, not just in what they sell.
1: I got to tell you, uh, I'll tell you two quick stories. I called a very large uh, organization that's out there all over the internet and they're big into multifamily, whatever. And they have these coaching programs and one of their salespeople called me and He said, are you interested in our coaching program? And I said, yeah, I am. Can you tell me about it? He goes, what's your pain point? I said, my pain point? I don't have a pain point. I'm asking you about your coaching program. Well, what problem are we trying to solve? And I literally, I said, listen, I want you to stop and stop with the cheesy sales lines. Stop with this nonsense and just have a conversation with me. Right? If you want to be a master salesperson, learn to have a conversation. Don't use cheesy sales lines because I recognize cheesy sales lines right out of the gate. He couldn't get over it. He did it like two more times and I hung up on him. Right. You want to be a master closer? Stop with the cheesy sales lines. And I use this other example. When I went to buy a car, you've been to a car lot, Rob, right? Yep. I call it Skippy the lot stalker. He's the car salesman. Right. Okay. So everybody knows when they walk on the car lot that they don't trust the car salesman when he's walking across the lot at them. Everybody knows that. They got their dukes up the wall of mistrust. You know they're ready to battle. They don't think this person is looking out for their best interests. I tell you, the first time I went and bought a Mercedes, I drove onto the lot. I walked around. I was waiting for the guy to come out. And he never did. Finally, I had a question, and I walked into the dealership. I walked in the front door, and the guy was in his office. And he points at me. He goes, "Hey, man, can I help you?" And I said, "Yeah, I need some information." He goes, "Hey, come in my office." He goes, "Sit on my giant overstuffed leather couch. Can I get you a coffee?" And I was like, "Uh, sure." And he's like, "So, uh, tell me what you're looking for." Like, it was a completely different sales cycle. When the guy just sat down had a conversation with me, talked to me about why I wanted a Mercedes, is this a step up for me, you know, do I have kids, and I I ended up buying a car from the guy. That's a professional salesperson, not cheesy sales
0: lines. I'll put the cheese away. Let me ask you another question. I, I love this. You're making me think about stuff that I haven't thought about for a long time, Brian. So thank you for being patient with me as I process what you say, and then I try to go one step deeper. So I bet you that salesperson that was trying to sell you coaching, first of all, he was stupid. Like if you're going to sell like a really good salesperson, you better be a good salesperson yourself because we don't put up with it. Like, like this girl that I'm dating is always laughing at me saying you are mean to salespeople for someone who coaches. I'm like, I'm not mean. I just don't waste my time. Right. So,
1: right. Exactly.
0: um, I bet that that rep that was giving you all the cheese, all that cheddar that he was serving up to you. I bet he didn't think it was cheese. So is there like a, yeah? So is there like a self-assessment that you might say to all these leaders, like leaders, you may be training people to do cheese. Is there like a cheese test that you have in your mind that you could share with fifty thousand people? Sorry that I, like, I can't help but ask it because I bet you that that guy that was trained thought he was doing it right.
1: Yeah, because that's what he's been trained to do. And I will tell you something else. It probably works enough that he makes money. But he's never going to be a professional master salesperson that can create wealth in a lifetime of anything you want in life. Right? You're always going to be the cheesy salesperson down there, and that's why we have a high turnover in the sales force and sales organizations because we're trying to teach the cheese as opposed to trying to teach people how to be better salespeople. If you're creating a bad experience for the customer, then your salesperson is going to get burned out. You're never going to sell what you can possibly sell. The organization will never make the amount of money it can make because you're not building. A professional, credible sales organization.
0: All right. So I got 50,000 listeners that I hope they're leaning back like I am right now, putting my hands behind my head. And I'm like, okay, what kind of cheese am I serving up right now? Right? It better not be the stinky cheese. And <laughs> um, and so I think that's a really healthy thing. To, again, it's halftime. We should look and say, like we should be observing. We should be having observable moments. Like you're right. It may work often enough that you can make some money, Mm -hmm. but, but in the world of growth, instead of grind, can we get a less offensive blend of cheese on the, on the charcuterie board? Right. We we got to
1: teach salespeople two things, active listening and connect connection responses. Okay. And this is how we stop being cheesy, active listening. You have many salespeople aren't listening to the client. They're just repeating the next thing they think they're supposed to say in the sales process. Well, now I have to say this. Now I have to say that. Now I have to talk about this. And the clients over there throwing softballs at them that they could literally knock out of the park from a connection standpoint. And they're missing it. I use this example. I had a person and I do this in the role play and the person's like, so what are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. And tell me about yourself. And I said, yeah, I sell fire engines. And the guy goes, Oh, that's great. So how do you think my product can help you? Like, dude, if you told me you sold fire engines, my first question would be, are you freaking kidding me? You sell fire engines? Right. That's called a connection response. And then the guy's like, yeah, because he wants to tell you about selling fire engines. And now you're starting to make a connection, which makes him like you, which makes him trust you, which makes him think you're all the five keys of magic. Just by active listening, listen to what they're telling you and giving a connection type response. You're from the Midwest. So am I. you in the military. So am I. You like to fish. So do I. Those are all true statements. I'm not making that up. You know, I, I there's a million things if you actively listen that you can make that connection with a client. And when people, by the way, here's another psychology of people. They will tell you things they want you to react to because they're proud of it. They're proud of it. And if you don't, then they will start to dismiss you as not listening because how could this guy not be listening to what I just told him? Like I'm, I'm going to space with SpaceX in 2025. It's a balloon really? that goes... See, you responded. Are you really?
0: That's exactly.
1: Seriously? what That is a yes. That's a connection response.
0: Are you really? That's amazing. Yeah, we're going
1: to. It's a two-hour trip up to one hundred thousand feet. Two hours across the Panhandle of Florida. Two hours down. You splash down in the ocean. You tell somebody that and they don't react. And I'm thinking that's the coolest
0: thing I've ever heard. There's <laughs> no way you.
1: That's my point of active listening and connection response. Right. You have to, and we do this in role play. All I do this in role play over and over and over and over with organizations. And uh, if you can get people into that active listening connection response, then they will start to make the connection with the clients, which keys the last four, like gross professional looking out for best interests.
0: What a great it's not segment. Hard. What a great segment. The anti-cheese segment. I've never had the cheese discussion on the <laughs> podcast. Five years. This is the first time we're talking about the anti-cheese. And, uh and, 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 and I will never look at a piece of cheese ever the same ever again, because of you, my friend, this was, this How was How many great.
1: times have you heard psychologists say, people are more interested in telling you what they have to say next than listening to what you're telling them now.
0: And that's oh, what yeah. salespeople
1: do. They're more interested yeah. in trying to continue to sell you than make that connection with you. And that's the difference between a cheese ball salesperson and a professional.
0: That is a great way to wrap up the cheese segment of this show. I like that. That was good, man. <laughs> Brad, you're fun. I we're going to have to have you come back again. You're going to have to become one of our our, uh, our 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 people that people look forward to seeing around to With Brian, we're down to our last call. It ten minutes, and I want to talk about something that I'm really excited because you're an expert in this, and and it's something that people have really benefited. And I, I I feel like we would be letting our listeners down if we didn't at least broach the subject. And just this, you're a negotiations expert. One of the things you told me that makes negotiations go way smoother is when you overcome objections before they even start. Correct. Can we can we go into that little discussion and sure. then we'll start to wrap things up?
1: So the very first objection we already talked about, right? You need to understand the first objection is that people don't like salespeople. Not that they don't like you, they, it's this they don't trust you. They think they don't want to get sold and they're afraid of you. So that is what we call a psychological objection that you need to understand as a salesperson before you ever get started. Secondarily, whatever product or service you're selling, I'm willing to bet you that you get the same four or five objections almost every time, right? Mm. It's price, it's timing, it's it's whatever it is it is, right? Too many salespeople build a sales cycle about pitching their product, going for the close, and then trying to overcome objections. And I, I tell you, if you're overcoming objections at the end of your sales cycle, you've already lost your client.
0: Will you, you say that fig- again? I want that loud and clear for everyone. Will you please say that again? If you are overcoming
1: objections at the end of the sales cycle, you have already lost your client. That is a fact. Not 100% of the time, but for the most part. That's the difference between somebody who will sell some and somebody who's going to you know, make a crap load of money because they're really, really good. So if we know that the same objections come up of the time, then what we do is we build a sales cycle around those objections and we move through them using positive affirmation statements all through the fact finding. So that by the time we get to the actual presentation slash close, we've already overcome those. They're not coming back up. They're going to have to come up with something new, but they're not giving me those. Okay. And that's basically what is your product? What is your service? What's your sales cycle look like? What are the known objections? Document them. What are the unknown objections? Unknown is people don't like salespeople, right? We build a sales cycle, including specific and general scripting. There are certain things you have to say every time. There are certain things that you will leave into a bucket. We build objections or we build scripts to overcome them. We do all this in the fact finding stage. And then we do all this by teaching this active listening and connection responses. And at the end, you will come up with a sales process that will close, I promise you, significantly more than what you're doing right now. Now, your top people are probably already doing it naturally because that's just how good they are. Yep. They're middle of the road, that 70. Those are the people I call we have to put guardrails on or I call bumpers and bowling. As long as they're bouncing between those bumpers, we're good. Those are the people that we have to continually take through the process over and over and retrain and reteach and re-roll play to get them to stay on track. I tell salespeople, until you are a top performer, you will do exactly what I tell you and nothing different. And when you become good enough that you go into that top 20%, you can do whatever
0: the hell you want. Hmm. I like it. When you work with companies, and they want to hire you for the purpose of negotiation, does that give you like a an insight that they probably are waiting to the end because they think the negotiation is this final dance. Is that like an insight? Again, we're at halftime Um, putting points on the board is a really good thing to talk about in halftime. And the Mm -hmm. East, I think the two easiest ways to put points on the board, I'd be interested if you disagree, if you do, we can still be friends. There's lots (laughs) of ways for me, it's improve your winning rate. Like I'd rather Mm -hmm win a higher percentage of time in my current number of at-bats rather than say I got to go get double the number of at-bats. Right. The other is get more for every sale, whether it's pricing or solving additional problems, but pricing slash your- I'm going hey, to, I'm to gonna add one. Give it I'm to gonna me. I'm going to
1: add one. I'm going to add one. And it's one of the most important ones I think a sales organization needs to learn. And that's understanding- Let's go. What a, understand what a no is. Because if you understand what a no is, then you will not waste your salesperson's, your organization's time dealing with somebody who's not going to buy. And that will allow you to move on to the next client who will buy and your sales will naturally go up without losing your close ratios. Too many salespeople fool themselves into thinking they have something they don't and they waste a tremendous amount of time on people or organizations that we're not going to buy instead of getting rid of them and moving on to the next one. Now, there's a happy median you need to find, and we do this by taking our top salespeople looking at close ratios, our bottom looking at close ratios, and we come up with a median and we say, as long as you're within this bucket in your close ratio, that's where you need to be. Now, if I can teach you what a no is, and you stop fooling yourself because you're going to be busy instead of productive by talking or doing things that aren't actually helping, that allows you to move through the process faster and everybody makes more money. As long as you stay within that close ratio, everybody wins.
0: A good way to finish that. Anything you put add for that? Objections, negotiations, or spending time in the right places? Build your personal
1: P&Ls and manage them weekly. And all these all right. things
0: will become relevant.
1: It'll just, it's like a puzzle. It'll just be right there in front of you. You can see it plain as day.
0: All right. So I want to give you some time to let people know how to get a hold of, get a hold of you, connect with you, get resources. We're going to put some links in the show notes that will introduce your tools and your books and, and different resources you have for leaders. Um, and then I'm going to give you kind of a few minutes to put a bow on everything we've talked about. So let's start with you. How do they get more of you? How do they get your books? How do they find more of what you have to offer? Uh, you're really like you got a wealth of things to share with people. How do they tap into that? So I have a
1: website. It's www.brianwillmedia.com. Brianwillmedia.com. My books are on there, my podcast, my guest appearances, my coaching programs are on there. Pretty much everything, my contact information, everything you ever wanted to know is on www.bryanwillmedia.com. That's easy.
0: Are you on LinkedIn as well?
1: Every social media page, all the links are on that website. They're on yeah, there. I, okay, great. Yep. Great. It's the Force MM. The Force MM on pretty much any social media platform is me.
0: So our... our uh our client our listeners will will have links to all of those things and we're excited to put those there and my advice to every one of the listeners is go see what brian has to offer like go subscribe to his podcast go check out uh his resources i can tell you i'm going to be getting a hold of of your books in fact i uh i can't wait to learn more about this master closer conversation and and anything we can do to remove the cheese you got my interest now for sure brother so let's take the last couple of minutes here. This has been a really great conversation, better than I thought. Time's up faster than I thought, just like I told you it would be. Um, you got a lot of people listening. They're in every industry. Uh, they're in tech and they're in finance and they're in manufacturing and there's some consumer. They're, they're everywhere and they're in every country. Any final thoughts to a whole bunch of sales leaders that right now you've probably blown their mind a little bit and, we, and we've talked about start at the bottom and we've talked about all of these things that, that like any one of them could have been a whole show. Any final thoughts that you'd give a bunch of people before we sign off?
1: Yeah, and I'm going to use an example here that's a general business example and then apply it back to the sales organization. And I always like to use the example of Apple, right? Apple's one of the largest companies in the world. And the guy that runs Apple is named Tim Cook. Tim Cook runs one of the most profitable, largest organizations on the earth, right? Tim Cook has a board of directors and that board of directors comes in every quarter and they listen to Tim, tell him all about all the issues with Apple. They give him advice, which he takes and he uses to make Apple go forward. The board of directors also hires a personal coach, an executive coach for Tim Cook. I know a friend of, who's a friend of that person. So Tim Cook needs a personal coach as well as a board of directors to help him make better decisions to run Apple. Now think of your sales organization, right? What makes you think that you don't need somebody like the Jepson Performance Group or a sales coach to come in and help you as a leader and or help your organization get better at what they do? Coaching, mentoring. Advisory services. I'm telling you, it will make you better. Y'all need to use it.
0: Wow, what a great finish! Um, thank you, dude. thank you so much, Brian. What a great episode. I can't wait to read more of what you got to offer. His name is Brian Will. He believes that we can help anyone improve that wants to, uh, and and if we want to as leaders, we can add the ability to be a time traveler to our leadership superpowers. And whatever you do, he helps leaders take the cheese off the table in the sales process. My advice, follow this guy. My advice, listen to his shows, read his books, but most important, implement these ideas because you can make the second half better than the first half with only a few small changes. And Brian has given you an amazing blueprint Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I I hope that you continue to have wild success. On behalf of 50,000 listeners all around the world, thank you for an hour of your time. And as I say to everyone, happy selling, brother. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has lived on Patreon and has grown to be the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. I could not be more excited to announce that Sales Leadership United now has its own home. Sales Leadership United has moved away from Patreon, and you can now find us at salesleadershipunited.com. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders and big companies, new companies, new companies, established companies, every industry that matters, people that are new to leadership, people that are new to a company. I'm talking about the newest, but also the most seasoned sales leaders in the world. I get the opportunity to work with all of them. And every single one of them wants more tools. They want more insights. They want more perspective. They want answers to questions like, how do you create systems? How do you create foundations? How do you create change? How do you coach? How do you lead? How do you manage up? How do you connect to a totally different generation? And uh, the number one question I get, what are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing right now? And that's why you should check out Sales Leadership United. Tools, training, techniques, perspective that comes from the benefit of thousands of hours with other leaders from all around the world. And if you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, now's your lucky day. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB to get a free trial. All right, what an awesome conversation with Brian. I love his perspective on, and his insights around improvement and growth. Brian said something early in the conversation that I haven't stopped thinking about as a leader. He said, if you're not helping people improve, then what are you doing? I loved that. If you're not helping people improve, then what are you doing? That perspective is so good. So very, very good. Listen, as many of you know, I'm a performance coach. I I coach leaders of all kinds. And I've learned that performance is fueled by four things. The aptitudes of the people that are part of your team. Number two is their level of motivation. Level Number three is the level of skill they have. And number four is their personal role, percep- role perception. And I love to have fun and ask people which one of these will improve performance fastest. Listen, all of them matter. You've got to have them all. But one of them makes a bump faster than anything else. Most of the people I ask this to point to motivation or skills. They're almost always surprised when I share with them that the lever that moves the needle fastest is the role perception lever. As a salesperson, as a leader, doesn't matter which, role perception will fuel your success in either of these cases. Here's why. What you think your role is is going to drive what you think is a high or a low value activity. And that will drive how you choose to use your time and the tools you use. So as sales leaders, it is massively important that we have clarity on what our role is. And I don't think the role should be to hit a number. I think hitting a number is at best the third role. I think the primary role for any leader is the development of those they lead. Helping people improve, become better, become more proficient, become more capable, become bigger, become better. And to do all of this by choosing growth, not having it forced on them. And I think that's the number one thing every leader needs to start with. What's my role? I'd suggest you start with helping those you lead become more than they were prior to working with you. Call it people development. Call it people acceleration. Because if you prioritize that role, you'll be making a huge difference. And it will come because you'll build a different leadership cadence. And if all those things happen, you'll be that leader that becomes the person who makes all the difference. So go back and give this episode a second. Listen, because Brian gives us some amazing insights about how we can stay in the people development business. My advice is to follow his blueprint. I love his idea of hopping in the hot tub time machine, right? Really good advice here because he's right. And he's given us real world ways you can become even better in the people development business than you probably already are. And... Brian's right about something else too. He's right that we can help anyone improve that wants to improve. Don't ever forget that those on your team chose to work at your org in part because you were the leader. So work hard to keep it that way. Don't let it ever turn into they're there in spite of you as the leader. That means you got to connect. That means you got to coach. That means you got to create. And what you'll find is your greatest fulfillment will come as you help those you lead become more, faster. So get after it. Become legendary. Stay in the people development business. Brian, thanks so much for joining me. Congrats on the success you've had. Thank you for giving back to the sales leadership community. My advice to each of you, our fifty thousand listeners out there, is connect to Brian. Reach out to him. Check out his books and his podcast. Start checking out the resources he has to offer. We've got links in our show notes to make this really, really easy to do. Trust me, you're going to be glad you connected with Dan and checked out what he has to offer. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can ever give is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review if you're comfortable on iTunes. And you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to the new salesleadershipunited.com and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thanks for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. If you like this message, please share it with someone who needs to hear it, and then get after it this week. Because life is short. We've got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite, live strong, and chase your passions, and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this, and I got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.